0: Now, a decade ago, what appeared to be a young girl was found distressed and alone outside the GPO in Dublin. She couldn't or wouldn't speak, so the guardie transferred her to Temple Street Children's Hospital, where she remained for a month while they tried to ascertain her identity. She turned out to be Stephanie Azapardi an Australian serial con woman, and now the subject of a documentary on Paramount Plus called Con Girl. Andrew Farrell is executive producer. Afternoon, Andrew. Hi, Sean, how are you? Not too bad. So, could you tell us at least as a starting point uh, what happened when Samantha Azapardi came to Dublin and the whole drama around being GPO girl?
1: Yeah, she was travelling in Ireland way back in 2013. And she had a friend of her, former friend of her mother's in Australia, lived in Clonmel in County Tipperary. And she was staying there, sort of couch surfing like any Australian backpacker. And then she left that home and said she was heading off. I think you know maybe leaving the country, but actually she went to Dublin, and there she was discovered by Garda officers on the 10th of October. Uh, you know, on the at the foot of the GPO. You know, not talking, hidden under a hoodie jacket, acting like a very very traumatized young woman, and she indicated with her fingers that she was only 14 years old. The guard-eyed were you know, quite alarmed by this discovery and wondered what was going on, and they took her into their care and started what became a major investigation to try and work out who this mysterious young woman was.
0: Mm, and, and they seemed to worry because, as you say, she wasn't talking, they, they were kind of inferring that perhaps she'd been uh, a victim of trafficking or something like that.
1: Yeah, that's where their thoughts started to go. There definitely something, you know, was unusual going on. She wasn't talking, she wasn't eating, they had no, fo- no way to identify her so they were slowly starting their kind of police investigations around the place but she, what she did do was she drew a picture and she drew a picture of a gun, a plane and a cross Mm. Three very powerful images, which straight away to an investigator is going to trigger some alarming thoughts that something's going on here. And so that led them to sort of escalate their concerns and realise that maybe there's something more serious here. There was reports in the uh, Irish media at the time that there were other drawings that might have indicated something of a sexual nature, but the Garda told us that that wasn't the case. It was just the gun, the plane and the cross Certainly alarming images from a young, fourteen-year-old girl who doesn't talk.
0: And so, when her her picture was was then released, how did that that story that she told start to unravel?
1: Well, she, you know, and it was a very difficult process to release that picture. They had to go through extensive uh, court appeals because uh, you know children are protected under the Child Care Act. It was out of sheer desperation and a lot of you know, I would say a strong du- duty of care from the Garda. They were incredibly careful. They finally had to take the photo as a last resort and then show it to the world because they were absolutely exasperated. She spent three weeks with them. She hadn't said a word. It was extraordinary. They showed that photo. The family friend of her mother's down in Clonmel said, "Ah, oh, that's Samantha, got in touch with them, and then they were able to check her name back into it, back to the Australian police which then suddenly unravelled that, hello, here's someone with a police record. She's actually done things of this nature a couple of times, at least three times that we know of before this, and that's when the game was up, and she was not a 14-year-old girl who was potentially a victim of being kidnapped. She was actually a 25-year-old
0: backpacker from Australia. Mm. So... I, and I assume at this point she hadn't really broken any laws. Did she just walk out of the hospital and disappear, or how how was that resolved? Yeah, it's interesting because she hadn't broken any
1: laws. So you know she'd wasted a lot of time. She'd wasted a lot of money. You know she'd pissed a lot of people off. She you know, but I don't think the Garda would do anything differently. I think they investigated it entirely the correct way. You have to, you know, believe people when they present with that. But in the end, she hadn't um, broken any laws, so it was really like, well, we'll put you on the first plane home.
0: Mm. And uh, off she went back to Australia to continue her offending. Is it known how many different personas she's occupied? At least 75. Wow. They're the ones that we
1: know of. I think the fascinating thing about her story is that, the stuff that gets, makes it to court or maybe turns up in the paper, the stuff that turns up in our documentary, that is just the tip of the iceberg. There must be so many others because she's just continually doing this and she'd often have like three or four identities on the go at one time. She'd be running multiple cons at one time. Ultimately that brought her unstuck. But I suspect also that there were people who were conned by her who didn't even realise that it happened. You know, we had a great example of a French backpacker who called Lucy who was in Australia. She was befriended by Sam. Sam just got her to do a a couple of very unusual phone calls that at the time Lucy just said, you know, she thought they were prank calls, but actually they were to set up one of Sam's other identities. Lucy left and went back to Europe. And that was it. She never knew that anything was untoward. It was a forgotten travel memory until Sam came unstuck. The police started investigating. Next thing, she gets a call from Australian police saying, you've been implicated in a kidnapping.
0: Uh, how many times has she, I mean, obviously in the, in the, in the Dublin instance, she was, she was 25, claiming to be 14. Was, was, mm. Is that a recurring pattern where she claims to be a teenager? Yes, she's definitely a recurring pattern of being much
1: younger, which, uh, you know, her very early offences were in her early 20s and she'd often be going back to the age of 14. And even now in her most recent offences where she's now, you know, in her early 30s, she's 34 actually now, she's still passing herself off as someone much younger, which is becoming harder and harder for her. But definitely always that's that's one of her patterns and, you know, there's other crazy aspects to her patterns. You know, she often is pretending to be a victim of different kinds of abuse or kidnapping. And then she often has these fantastical backstories that her parents spies. She was once a Russian gymnast. There's always a strange and quite elaborate backstory as well, but she's able to convince people that they're true.
0: Yeah. Now, the, the, has most of this taken place in Australia?
1: There the bulk of it in Australia she's got a hundred offences that she's been convicted of in Australia over roughly a 10- year period. but she also did some offending in Calgary yeah and so she you know I suspect there might have been other stuff happening in other countries that just never hit the radar as well. She operated under multiple passports, multiple identities. She was a very sophisticated at creating new identities and running those frauds through. You know, to get a fake passport, it's a pretty serious business. But she was traveling under assumed names and assumed passports all over the world. Like, who knows what else yeah. is, uh, you know, in that bottom of that iceberg.
0: And, and in, in, on these multiple occasions when she's insinuated herself with people or in with families, what's mm. odd here, they, they, there doesn't seem to be a financial motivation to this. No, exactly. And that's the very
1: strange and compelling aspect of this story is that there's She's not trying to take money off people. There's no kind of sexual thing going on. You know, that's part of the mystery. It is just a compulsion. You know, it's almost like one psychiatrist said she just wants shelter and care, you know, from, from, from people. So, you know, and anything that she does take from it is the most simple minor thing, maybe just something to help her set up her next con. So that's the thing which keeps people sort of slightly mystified by it. But it's also why she's never been really seriously imprisoned for it as well. And she's always just does these very short stays, a few months here, a few months there, a non-parole, you know, period is always, you know, recommended that she gets more help. But then she slips through the net and she goes
0: out and she continues to offend. What's known about her actual background?
1: Not a lot. There's a few, you know, she had a fairly normal middle-class, you know, family upbringing in the outskirts of Sydney, in the western outskirts of Sydney. Um, Her parents separated when she was young. School friends, you know, reported that she was definitely unusual at school and she'd have like odd eccentric lies that she would tell nothing to the scale of what she would go on to do. Interestingly, she had a a job in a sort of a pancake restaurant in Sydney and she was eventually fired from that, but she told the boss she was going to travel the world to donate a kidney. Um, She she went on to
0: to travel the world and do much more than that. Yeah. And, And is it known where she is now?
1: She was in prison until December last year where she was originally sentenced from the most recent conviction to 17 months with a non-parole of eight months and then a judge brought that down, it was reduced and she was released on December the 15th and we don't know where she went after that. Presumably staying with family in Sydney, she's kept a low profile since then. But as I've found in the, you know, multiple years I've been working on this story, just when you think she's gone quiet, she pops up again. Yeah, You know, because until she gets serious help, she can't stop doing it. It's a compulsion. So, and as some, you know, people have said in a documentary, it's not something she gets great pleasure out of as well. You know, it's just something that she's forced to do. And until she can get the right psychiatric help, psychological help to, you know, to work on this and work through it, uh, she's going to keep trying to do it. It's just that now as she gets older and especially as her identity is more and more widely known, She's getting, she's struggling to get away with this. You know, she gets found out. She joins a Facebook group to try and become a au pair in Sydney and everyone goes, hey, that's that girl mm. from the papers. You know, don't hire her. So she gets, you know, called out early. So I don't know where it's going to end for her, but I think her glory days, you know, have passed her where she was able to pull off more elaborate things. She was very smart. She was a step ahead of the curve when it comes to social media You know, it took the rest of us, you know, five years or ten years to catch up to where she was in kind of running scams and fake identities and using all the tools of the internet, you know, to outsmart people. We're all a bit wiser to it now and we've caught up to her and her identity is more and more out there. Her photo is out there more. You know, this documentary will hopefully increase her profile out there and make it harder for her as well because the impacts on her victims, I call them survivors, are very real. They've been very, very traumatized by their encounters with her. So it's a it's a difficult story. They are people that you feel a lot of empathy for, but also she suffers in this as well.
0: The name of that documentary is Con Girl. It's streaming now on Paramount Plus. Andrew Farrell is the executive producer. Andrew, thank you very much. Been a pleasure, Sean. Moncrief.
1: Brought to you by Avant Money. Think of getting the best value from your bank?